It is indeed a joyous, joyous time to gather and give praise unto our Creator, our Savior, our Lord. So what a, a pleasure it is to, to be here this day and uh, simply to bask in the reality of, of His presence and His love and His goodness. And some of you might say, well, then why are you going to mess that up by going into the bedroom? You know, why include that room in the house in such a public forum? Certainly my wife and kids asked me that question a number of times. I'm not sure if they're showing up here today. They might be visiting elsewhere. Uh, And my answer is, well, everybody else is in the bedroom. Why not Jesus? You you can't go anywhere in popular culture and not uh, somewhere encounter sexuality. Whether it's in music or pop culture, movies, books, commercials. Just this week, had opportunity to talk with uh, Kathy and Rich Steubing, who were here with us last week, who are um, workers in Zambia in the theological education. And, and as I usually do with folks who work um, overseas and come back every so often, you know, every couple years, you know, they're, they're sort of like grandparents. You know, if you see the kids, if you live away from your grandkids, you, you see the grandkids every so often, you, you really notice the change. Whereas parents, you know, just sort of oblivious in the midst of it. And so I always ask them, well, what do you notice in the culture today? Just in your walking around, just being here? What, what's, what's unusual from what you've noticed in the past or from Zambia? And, and the first thing on Kathy's, of Kathy's uh, lips were uh, just how hyper-sexualized everything is. Seems everything has some kind of sexual connotation or entendre. It's not hard to see that. I mean, just listen to the, the, the words of a lot of the music of the day and the movies. Matter of fact, listen to the words of the music of your day when you were growing up or the movies when you were growing up. For, for me, I listen to the music of my growing up period with different ears as a parent of teenagers than I listened when I was a teenager. And I'm appalled that my mom and dad let me listen to that stuff. (laughs) You know, you you see, there's a good movie, you know, you're like, oh, this will be a great one for the kids. Well, Kathy and I have learned. We've made that mistake once, showing it without viewing it with our different eyes of a parent. And we're like, how in the world did we like that movie when we were a kid? How in the world could we have even thought that that would be good to show to our teenage daughters? So it's, yeah, it's everybody else is in the bedroom. And we as the, the church of Jesus Christ need to invite Jesus there. He's already there. I mean, that's sort of the whole thing with this text, with the, this, even this series. We invite Jesus in, it isn't because Jesus isn't there. We invite Jesus into the rooms in, in the sense of opening our eyes and our heart to the reality of the presence of Jesus wherever we are. Another reason to invite Jesus in the bedroom is because it's, sex is a powerful force. Money, sex, and fame to steal a little bit from one of Richard Foster's old books. They... 
they are powerfully seductive areas of life that we must submit to the ways of Jesus. And we have to understand that sexuality, sorry, this is about sex, not about sleep, is a great gift from God that can be totally misunderstood and abused. So that's why we want to invite the creator of male and female, the creator of sexuality, into the bedroom. Our first passage we're going to look at this morning is Song of Solomon, chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. It's found on page 545 in your pew Bible and invite you um, to turn there or to read on the screen um, with us. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for the, the wonderful gifts of your creation. And lead us, teach us, show us the ways that we enjoy your gifts according to your wisdom. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Each one of us in the place where we need to hear from you, where we need to see you, where, where we need to, your spirit to guide our lives. We give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, starting with verse 9. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with a glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips distill nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The scent of your garments is like the scent of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A garden locked, a fountain sealed. Your channel is an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all chief spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, of flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden that its fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. What a passage that demonstrates, that, that communicates the bodily intimacy and desire that's been created by God to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in marriage. As you read through Song of Solomon, throughout, I mean, I read more, some of the more tamer parts of the passage. I encourage you to read through the whole poem. 
and, and see just how intimate, just how profound and powerful are the bodily appetites bride and groom have for one another in this passage. The, the first thing we have to recognize is that the gift of sexuality is a wonderful gift from God to be enjoyed in its proper context and place. In, in talking with counselors, both in seminary, when I was in seminary, and since in continuing education classes, being in different classes, they share how often... they encounter couples, Christian couples, where the significant issues in their sexual dysfunction are caused in their married relationship by the notion somewhere in their mind that sexuality is bad, is wrong, is dirty, is unclean. And the work they need to do with these couples, of of teaching them and leading them to just the opposite conclusion. As we read through the Song of Solomon, the clear point that man and women have an attraction to one another that is very strong, a bodily appetite for each other that needs to be kept unfilled for a time. That's why, as we read chapter 4, that the garden is locked in verse 12. And the fountain is sealed, the garden is locked. And then, in the very middle, there's 111, in the Hebrew, there's 111 uh, verses before chapter 5, verse 1, and then 111 afterwards. Then, the very end of the chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, the cry is to awake. The cry is to unlock the garden. And for the bride and groom to enjoy one another. To play in the garden together. See in chapter, you can write these down, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 8, verse 4, are all state the same thing. If you turn the page back, chapter 3, verse 5. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the wild does, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. Three times, the writer reminds us that there is, a, there is a boundary, there's an appropriate context and boundary, and in the very middle is when, in a sense, the honeymoon is awakened, and their desires for one another are unleashed. I mean, throughout the passage then are blatant sexual metaphors and meanings, Actually, common poetry in the days. Semitic poetry in the Near East in this time period. And what the Song of Solomon does is take the poetry that day and puts it into 
Christian context, or in that day, the day of those that followed Yahweh. And so what happens between a man and a woman in their bedroom who are married is not dirty or wrong or unclean, but a beautiful part of God's creation to be enjoyed as God intended. Husband and wife playing together in the garden of physical intimacy. It's what God created in the very beginning. If you just go a little to the right of the table of contents, back in Genesis 2, when He created Adam and Eve, the end of chapter 2, before the fall, this is part of His totally good, very good creation. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In the history of the church, in the, the history of the, the temple and the synagogue, it's often that the part of the activities of the Sabbath day is for husband and wife to be alone with one another and enjoy each other. Part of the Sabbath observance. The, the picture in Genesis 1 of a man and woman being totally vulnerable with one another. No, no clothing and unashamed is a picture of intimacy in a relationship. Of a beautiful, complete, whole person intimacy. Not just the, the, the one flesh symbolized in sexual intercourse, but the, the one person that God leads us to become in an intimacy of body and soul, mind and spirit. That's the, the perfect picture before the fall that God created for us to enjoy. And even after the fall, after Jesus... The Apostle Paul tells us something very similar in 1 Corinthians 7 where, where he tells, uh, tell, not the passage we're going to read yet, but uh, it's coming, where he tells men and, and women, your, husbands, your body is not your own. It belongs to your wife. And wives, your body is not your own. It belongs to your husband. Enjoy one another. Give yourselves to one another unless you agree with one another to have a fast from your physical intimacy so that you might pray together. It's in 1 Corinthians 7. So inviting Jesus into the bedroom for, for married couples. This is a part of your relationship. There's a gift from God that God says to enjoy before Him. And, and if this part of your relationship is broken because of emotional or psychological or spiritual issues, 
encounter others or seek help. Guidance from from counselors, from, from those that can address that, can lead you to a place to enjoy the wonderful gift of sexuality between husband and wife that God has given to us. Now, there are others here where the physical part of intimacy is just no longer a significant part of your lives for for physical reasons. And I know that because there are umpteen commercials after 10 o'clock at night. They talk about that. You don't need to OD on Viagra. There's, There's more to life than the physical intimacy of life. I mean, the picture of Genesis is not just the physical intimacy, but the emotional, the intellectual, the the spiritual, actually the more difficult parts of our relationships are are even deeper and, and more meaningful. I would present to you. So the point both of Song of Solomon with physical intimacy and then in Genesis for the the whole intimacy between husband and wife is to enjoy one another. To grow in your relationship with each other, continue to to deepen your understanding and your care for each other. And for time, physical intimacy is a part of that. And if that's still physically capable, then enjoy that before God. But now, what then, they're, they're, what then are those correct boundaries? What is the, the guidance of when is it time to awaken the beast? And when is it a time to keep the beast at bay? I mean, it's like sexuality. It's like fire. It's like atomic energy. It's like drilling for oil. Within appropriate boundaries, it's very safe and very beneficial. But when it breaks loose of those boundaries, fire can destroy, atomic energy can explode. And we all know what happens if drilling for oil breaks loose of its boundaries. Death and destruction. So a wonderful gift, but to be used in its appropriate, to be enjoyed in its appropriate context. And that's 1 Corinthians 6 starting with verse 12. Found on page 929 in your pew Bible. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. What's happening in Corinth was that they had a bad theology that their body was not important. They had separated body and soul. Jesus came to save my soul, and the body's just a temporary compartment in which my soul, the important part of me, resides. That was sort of what was going on in, in Corinth in, in that day. And what Paul is, is correcting them. No, there is no way to separate body and soul. You are one whole person and Jesus rescued you, your whole person, body and soul, all that you are. And you you can't divide the two. I mean, it's no different today that because sexuality has become so commonplace. I mean, it's used to sell roofs and gutters, gutter guards. You know, it's, it's used to, to, to sell all kinds of things. And so we, we treat the body and sexuality as just a, an extension of a handshake or a hug. Just a natural extension of just in, enjoying physical things together. No different than eating a meal together, riding bicycles together. It's simply physical. What... What is called today is friends with benefits. That's what relationships that move to a little more physical interaction is called. Friends with benefits. And what Paul is correcting that notion. That that, that indeed is a great lie. And you know what? Everybody knows it. And we do a lot. Everybody knows that there's no way that sexuality is just physical. But we do a lot of work as a a popular culture. We do a lot of work trying to convince ourselves, or the culture does, that sexuality is just physical. That there's no spiritual, no emotional ties, no connections like that. It's simply just the extension, the natural extension of a hug. But Paul makes it clear to the culture... That, that that truly is a lie of the evil one. Parallel to the lie in the very beginning. Just eat the fruit. It won't hurt you. Just a silly rule. Paul's point to the Corinthians is that there is no separation of body and soul. It's really important. A real important distinction here. We do not believe just in the immortality of the soul. The power of the resurrection, the reality of the incarnation of God in the flesh, coming, living, dying, and then being raised in the body. We believe in the bodily resurrection. There is no distinction between body and soul. We are all one. There's no way to sort of divide them out.
What Paul mentions here, a number of things to tell you just how valuable the body is. The, our bodies have been purchased by God. They're a temple of the Holy Spirit. They are destined for resurrection, forever living with God and God's people. They are not just a temporary holding compartment for our soul. So because of that, because of that theological truth, we understand physical sexuality involves the whole self. Body and soul. And when, when two human beings have sexual intercourse with one another, they join together. Body and soul in, in a way that Paul is alluding to here. And so there's a key point here to, to understand and recognize that there is no such thing as a spiritual prophylactic. When we join together, when two human beings join together, they are giving body and soul to one another. That is why in God's wisdom, He says, such a powerful expression of human intimacy must be kept within the confines of a committed relationship before me and before one another and through which the, your brothers and sisters surround you. So that that powerful work of intimacy is kept in that safe place. I found that to be true in my own life. You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so after the sexual revolution, and as I've already mentioned to you, music and TV and movies and the culture and all around, I bought into hook, line, and sinker that it was a, almost a responsibility as a boy to pursue girls and to conquer them. It wasn't really until I got to college that I remember hearing this taught. I probably was taught um, other times. I just chose not to listen. But at that time, it became real to me, and I understood the gift of sexuality and the appropriate place for it to be enjoyed. And at the time, I was in a significant relationship with a female. Now, by God's grace, up until that point, and even until I was married, I had never experienced fully, I'd never known a, a woman in the biblical sense. But that was by God's grace. It wasn't for lack of trying or anything else. It was simply by God's grace. But by that time in college, our relationship had some physical intimacy to it. And we heard teaching on this and we decided we need to pull back. We need to stop. We, we didn't know exactly why, but we just figured, you know, it's what God teaches and it's what the teacher says. We trust him and so we're, we're going to pull back. Now, that's really difficult. And it, it took us a, a while to develop new habits of, of gathering, of being together. But we did. And I remember when the wisdom of God exploded upon me, driving home, or driving to school, up I-85, 
after being gone for a long weekend. And I, as I was pulling into school, I realized in my mind, you know, I really want to be with her. But I want to share with her what happened on the weekend. I want to hear what happened with her in, in her weekend. Whereas in, in previous times, I might have wanted it more than her. Since it wasn't an option, I realized, wow, I just, I think I really do like her. I know I like it, but I think I really do like her. And how the power, having removed the power of physical intimacy, helped me to recognize what was even more significant. I mean, the physical part of relationships isn't really the hard part. It's the intellectual, it's the emotional, it's the spiritual part. That's the the part of the relationship that I started to realize, wow, the, the smoke sort of cleared away. And I remember saying, God, you are so smart. And the wisdom that he gives us to enjoy this gift in its safe, appropriate context is for our own good. So as we invite Jesus into the bedroom, those that are married enjoy one another according to the gift that God has given. And those that aren't pursue God's wisdom. In in, in simple, clear ways, if not married, then don't have sex. Easy to say. But decide now before God to follow His wisdom. Be sure to surround yourself with people who have the same desires to to help and lead you in that way. Keep a critical eye on the music and movies and the influences around you. Don't go run and hide, but keep a critical eye. Critical ear. Because there's no way to run and hide. But listen, put it through a filter. Students and parents... Include one another in those discussions. Parents, let me tell you straight up. You're the most powerful influence in your children's lives when it comes to this. That's just the way it is. And if you need help and guidance, go talk to Tony or Jean or Maggie. You can talk to me too. Go connect with Focus on the Family. They've got really good stuff. I don't know how many times I've talked to parents who are scared about talking to their children about sexuality. Well, if you don't tell them, they will find out. And as a, a parent, and as a church, it is our responsibility to teach our children the wonderful gift that God has given us. And if you aren't married, don't live together before you're married. The temptation is just too great. I know it can make a lot of economic sense. You know, my daughter's about to go to college. I'll have an extra bedroom. Come live with me, one of you. But don't don't live together before you're married. Just, Just keep it straight and clear. God bless you. You're welcome. Now, there are some here who have transgressed this line. 
God's grace is sufficient for you. God, Jesus died for me and you because we transgress the lines of God all the time to our own detriment. So don't try to hide it. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to understand this in new ways. Just bring it to Jesus. He's not, you're not telling him something he doesn't already know. Confess to him today and you start over today. If you haven't already started over. You start over brand new, spanking clean in him today. So bring, bring that to him. This is not the unforgivable sin. And for those adults who are single, don't believe the lie of the world that sex is the greatest fulfillment of life. I mean, I can imagine being single in this day and age, given just how prominent sexuality is all around us, and the lie that teaches that is just the ultimate expression of, of, of human pleasure. It's not. Jesus is our fulfillment. Jesus alone is sufficient for the fulfillment and the abundance of life that he, that he and He alone brings to us. So, wherever you are, invite Jesus into the bedroom. Amen.